Have you ever heard the phrase hero to zero? I want to tell you a story about my past uh, back in really 2006, whenever we were transitioning from Houston, Texas to Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, my son was born and we were moving, but uh, some of you may not know, I used to be in the car business. And for me, I was uh, at a really big dealership in Houston, Texas at one of the largest volume stores in the country. Um, at the time, I was working for the biggest, largest independent dealer in the country. And they were kind of the top gun uh, in the industry, in the financial world of the automobile industry. So at a young age, I got to experience a lot of success. Working for them, um, I got trained uh, at some of the best finance schooling for the industry. Um, we experienced just explosive growth at the store we were at. Um, I was able to um, work for some of the, the largest leaders in the country um, in that industry. And so my training was top notch. My uh, exposure to the business was top notch. Um, even from awards and bonuses. And, you know, I just got to be in really kind of this dream scenario as a young, you know, mid-20s um, kind of rising star in this industry. And what happened was when my son was born, my family had moved to Georgia at different times for different reasons. And we really just wanted to be close to family. So when we moved, um, I had this amazing resume. Uh, the people in Georgia, in the industry, had heard about the company that I was coming from. They knew all of our stats and they knew you know, the, the level of production that we had done. So I came highly recommended. So I was feeling really confident when I came here. I was, I was ready to go. I interviewed at a couple of stores and, and really was ready to hit the ground running. And I remember when the, the job that I finally took, they loved the company I was coming from. They loved the previous production. Uh, they, they were really hiring me based on just all of those recommendations. And, and little did I know really um, how quickly that was going to turn because I, I came highly recommended. I was this hero status. They were really excited to have me. They were really excited to to know of the potential of what we could do with raising our, our profit numbers and our, our uh, production and all that. But what happened was, was I spoke a different language than them. My leadership style was very different. Our philosophy with how we did things looked completely different from the system that they were, were used to. So right out of the gate, I really felt this tension. Um, I really felt this pressure almost. I felt this culture shift where all of a sudden uh, I came in as this really cocky, prideful, excited uh, producer to really kind of feel in this tension as, as an outsider. Because really what happened was, was their expectations. They loved me for what I could do, but the expectations looked very different than the reality that was actually happening. So it didn't actually take long for that culture to get toxic. And eventually I was rejected in the organization and ended up no longer working for the company. And so that season for me was just like a really hard time because, you know, I had everything going for me. And then all of a sudden I had nothing because I was no longer accepted. I was rejected for what I thought was going to be an amazing experience. Um, I don't know about you, if you've ever experienced something like that going from hero to zero. But the reason I tell that story is this is Palm Sunday and Jesus has just had an amazing 
past. Um, he was in this season where he was building his team. He was gathering his disciples. He was uh, doing miracles. Um, there's scenes where Jesus was raising people from the dead. Jesus was walking on water. Jesus was calming storms and doing just amazing things. Matter of fact, uh, his friend Lazarus, right before the scene where we're going to jump into today, his friend Lazarus had died. You remember a couple weeks ago, we talked about Mary and Martha. Well, Mary and Martha had a brother named Lazarus, and Jesus became really, really good uh, friends with the family. Well, he had passed away. And Jesus had this miraculous moment right before the scene we're going to jump into today where he had literally raised Lazarus from the dead. And so people all around were hearing all the stories about what Jesus was doing, all the miracles that he was doing. So when he was coming into the city of Jerusalem, he came highly recommended. His resume was amazing. He had done some uh, things that really affirmed his ministry. And so the expectations of the people is what we're going to look at in this story uh, that didn't really line up with exactly who he was. And so if you have your Bibles, I want you to open up to Matthew chapter 21. We're going to be in verse 1 through 11. I just want to read through this. There's a couple little uh, nuggets that I want to pull out of this, and then I really want to land in just one big idea this morning. So again, this is Jesus with his crew right after this resurrection moment of Lazarus, and he's going into the city of Jerusalem just a few days before he's going to be crucified. And so it says this in verse 1. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied in a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humbly and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of the beast of burden. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on their cloaks, and he sat on them. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road. And the crowd that went before him that followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And I love in Mark's version of this, they also said, blessed is the coming king of our father, David. They said, Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowds said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And so there's a couple of things that I want to just uh, culturally, there's a lot of word pictures here that really set up the tension that we're going to feel in this story. And the first thing I want you to know, when Jesus sent his disciples into the city to grab that colt and to grab that donkey, uh, notice he said, tell them that the Lord needs them. Now we might just read right past that, but that really was Jesus proclaiming his sovereignty that he was orchestrating the events that were about to take place. And also he was referencing the, the prophet who had read that, which was quoted in that verse. And then I love the next part. He says, behold, the king is coming. They were, they were saying, behold, the son of David, the king of David, he is coming. And this is really um, the, the seed of expectation that we're going to see in this because their expectations were this Jewish mindset from the Old Testament that they had heard all these prophets. They had heard all these proclamations. They knew that a king like David was coming. And if you don't know who king 
King David is in the history of Jerusalem. King David was one of the most mighty warriors of their history. When David was king of Jerusalem, they had the most powerful army. They had the best economy. Um, God was moving and thriving and blessing their community. And so when they were saying, blessed is the king of David, they knew that the Messiah, they knew that the Christ was going to come from David's seed, that it was a son of David. So they were calling out, hoping with expectations that a new king like David was coming. And then I also wanted you to see where they spread out their cloaks. Now to us, that sounds weird if a donkey's coming in and a king is ushered in for them to take off their cloaks and to lay them on the ground. Well, culturally, this represented just submission. This was a move of honor where they were submitting to him as if they were hailing the king that was coming in. So like if a king of a town or a king of a state or a king of a, of a country was coming in, they would literally lay down in honor and submission. So they were honoring Jesus as if the king were entering into the city. And then the reason we call this Palm Sunday, you notice they said that they were laying these branches down. They were laying these palm branches down. Well, culturally, this represented this, this Jewish nationalism of victory. Like it really was this patriotic moment. It would almost be like us in America waving our flags just in this pride of we are taking control again. We love our country. This is amazing. So by them putting these palm branches on the ground. It was just this real love for the, the nation of Israel and the Jewish people. And it was just this sign of victory was coming. And then lastly, I just want to grab this and then I really want to get to the, to the main point. And that's that they said, Hosanna, the son of David. Again, David was a national hero. David was a war vet. He was a powerful ruler. And so if you really think about these images, the, the palm branches, the submission that the king is coming, them crying out, Hosanna, son of David this ushering in of a king, it really is painting this political context that their expectations of Jesus was that the king was coming and that he was going to set them free because at this time they were in bondage to the Romans. The, the Roman government had them enslaved almost where they were they had been wiped out, their, their temple had been taken away, all of their privileges, all of their stature, all the things that they had were, were taken away and they were in bondage. So when they they're crying, King of David, come. When they're laying down those branches, they are expecting Jesus to come in as this mighty warrior like David to come in and just wipe out the Romans so that they can have their throne back. But see, that's not at all what this was supposed to look like because their expectations was that a warrior king was going to set them free from Rome. But who actually ended up showing up was a humble servant who was going to set them free from their sin. And this is where the story um, gets really interesting because here in chapter 21, you see Jesus as the hero. Jesus' resume from the resurrections, from the miracles, from the power, from all the signs and wonders, from the movement and all the things that Jesus had been doing, he came highly recommended. They had an expectation that he was going to come in, take back their nation, do all these things. When in reality, Jesus didn't come in at all like they thought. They might have even felt weird that he was riding in on a donkey. They might have felt weird that he didn't come in with this triumphant entrance, you know, with this major theme and music and dancers and all these different things that you might imagine as a king coming in. He came in very humbly. And then his message once he got there was very different. 
If you read through Matthew, just over four or five chapters, really leading up to towards the end of his trial, which we'll get to in just a second, you you see Jesus immediately when he got to the city, one of the first things that he did was he went in and he addressed the the religious people of the crowds, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the, the religious organizations that existed, and he came in guns blazing against them. You'll read scripture after scripture of woe is you, you hypocrite, for the things that you're doing, for the things that you're not doing, all the religious activity. I mean, Jesus came in totally challenging the religion of the Jerusalem people. And that's not what they expected. They expected, hey, come in and go, go, go charge against the Roman government. Go charge against our enemies who are enslaving us. But what he did was he actually came in guns blazing, charging against the sin that was in the camp, the sin that was in here, all the hypocrisy and all the things that they were doing where they were missing the true meaning of why he was even there. And so what ended up happening was because Jesus was pressing so hard, uh, they ended up plotting against him to have him arrested, and that's exactly what we see. He ends up getting arrested, and they take him to a man named Pilate who had a lot of power at this time. And so in the scene where I'm going to read in Matthew 27, you see the shift from the people where the same ones that were saying, Hosanna, King of David, come rescue us. You see a very different tone. Listen to this in verse 20 of chapter 27. It says, Meanwhile, the leading priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for uh, Barabbas. And so the context there was Pilate during this festival of the Jewish people, he always would kind of have this offering of letting a prisoner go for free. Like he would literally set them free from their sin. And so what they, what they were doing was, is they put Jesus next to this criminal and they gave them this opportunity to pick one. We'll set one of them free. So this was the moment where if, if the people were going to stand up for Jesus and receive him, this was the time where they literally could have set him free. But it says, meanwhile, the priests, they were persuading the crowd to ask for Barabbas, the, the criminal, to release, to be released and for Jesus to be put to death. So the governor asked again, which of these two do you want me to release to you? The crowd shouted back, Barabbas. Pilate responded, then what shall I do with Jesus, who is called the Messiah? They shouted back, crucify him. Pilate said, why? What crime has he committed? But the mobs roared even louder, crucify him. So again, imagine Just a couple of days before this, as Jesus has this entrance, they're laying down the branches, they're receiving him as king, their expectations was things were about to change and we're going to be back on the map again. Here we are a few days later, now they're being influenced because their expectations were different to say he's a phony, he's fake, let this criminal go instead of him and put him to death. This was the moment where Jesus was experiencing this hero to zero feeling. And it's all because the people's expectations and their priorities were off. You see, they thought that they needed a king, but what they really needed was a savior. And that's exactly what Jesus was coming for. And so for us in this season, I want us to really think about, especially with the times that we're in right now, how chaotic it is. We're crying out to God. We are praying to God to get rid of this virus, to heal the brokenhearted, to heal the ones that are sick, to heal the ones that are mourning, to fix the economy 
And let me tell you something, we're praying hard for these things. And we, as the people of God, we need to be faithful to continue crying out to God for these things. But the reality is, is we've got to be very careful that our expectations of Jesus's moving isn't to just come set us free from this virus, to just come set us free from this economic decline, to just set us free from the chaos that we're experiencing so that we can go right back into our comfortable lives where we're just going through the motions again. I really believe that God wants to remind us, just like in this scene, that he didn't come for what maybe we expected. What he came for was to save the world from their sin. And so when we talk about pandemics, I want to close with this. The pandemic of this world, yes, right now is this coronavirus. And there are thousands and thousands and thousands of people that are affected by this. But I also want you to know this, that there are 8 billion people on this planet that we call Earth. 2 billion people are Christians. So what that means is that 6 billion people on this earth are infected and dying with something called sin. And the weight of that, not only does it lead to death physically, but it leads to death spiritually. And so regardless of what our expectation is and what we're crying out for God to do in this movement of healing and restoring us from this, let us not limit what the mission and true meaning of this season is because the reality is, is we need Jesus to move on behalf of sin. We need Jesus to move on behalf of salvation. So yes, we're going to pray for all of these things to go away because I want to get back to our rhythms. But I really hope there's a shift in our mind. And let us not forget the mission that truly is at hand, that Jesus didn't come to set us free and to set our economy up, although he does that sometimes. What he came for was to save the world. What he lived for was so that he could die a few days later, which we're going to experience this next Friday when we talk about the crucifixion. But the reason Jesus came was not to set us free from bondage of this earth. What he came to set us free was bondage of our sin. And so this is the beauty of the gospel. This is the beauty of the message that we carry. This is the beauty of the scene that we're in today where we need to cry out to God to move for the six billion people that are infected by sin, that are trapped in darkness, that we carry the cure, we carry the gospel, the good news of Jesus's life, Jesus's death, Jesus's resurrection that we're going to so celebrate next Sunday. But this is the hope and the reality that we carry. This is the mission. This is the meaning. And so may we not reject Jesus, when he doesn't show up the way that we thought he was, let's welcome him in for the real reason why he came, and that's so that he could live and die, so that we could send this message out to reconcile the world to him. Let me pray for us. Father, we love you so much. God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for this reminder. God, I confess there are so many times, and even the tone of my prayer where my expectations for you are off my expectations and my motives for the things that I want you to do sometimes are for my own benefit or for the benefit of those closest to me. And God, we do want to be faithful to ask that you would move in a mighty way to set us free from this pandemic, to set us free from this economic reality, to stir communities together and to heal our lands. 
But God, may we not miss the bigger picture that has always been the mission, and that's you coming, you living, you dying, that we might not just have a king, but that we would have a savior. And so God, if there's anyone that hasn't given their life to you, put their faith in you. I pray right now, even in this moment, that your spirit would move all throughout uh, the internet and our homes and wherever it is that we're listening to this, that your Holy Spirit would just prompt us to call upon the name of Jesus for salvation. If we don't have a personal relationship with you, God, I pray that we would call upon your name, that we would welcome you with the expectation of salvation. And then God, we're asking that you move in a mighty, mighty way. So God, thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for letting us come together this morning digitally. And I pray that you be glorified in all that we say and do. And I pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thank you so much for joining us this morning online. If today you decided to follow Jesus, um, if you're on our online platform, you can literally raise your hand with the link we just sent, or you can click the connect button and check the box, today I decided to follow Jesus. If you're on Facebook Live, please comment to our team. We would love to be uh, just praying to help you take next steps with that. And then, hey, don't forget, Katie mentioned on Friday, we're doing our uh, Good Friday service. We're going to take communion together. It's going to be a really special moment. So invite all your friends to join us then. And then don't forget, we're having two services uh, live just like this for Easter. So make sure on social media, uh, share all those, comment on those, get as many people excited about the Resurrection Sunday as possible. We love you so much as you go throughout your day today. Um, just like we always say every week at Creekside, you are not dismissed at this moment. You are sent out to go radically love people and simply equip them to make disciples. We love you. We'll see you next week.